Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. It's Joshua Michael. This is my best friend, Colin. I am, you in fact, me? your best friend. Yes, you are. <laughs> and always shall be. And always How's your shall week? be. Uh, you better be. I feel like it was busy. I feel like it was busy. I just sent my, I just took my boy home. I had him over all weekend and um, I am totally exhausted because of it. That kid wakes me up at 530 in the morning <laughs> and then I kept telling him, dude, don't just sit there and watch TV all morning because then we can't watch the Karate Kid later or Captain America. He hadn't seen either of those movies. And uh, so he changed his life today, huh? Yeah, I liked I liked when you said that uh, before. How as did, well, How did he res- how did he respond to the Karate Kid? Oh, he thought it was great. He totally loved it. He had all these interesting questions. He's a huge Mr. Miyagi fan. He did not have <laughs> He just, I think the endearing warmth of uh, Pat Morita's performance absolutely sold him. And uh, I think he liked his, uh, I think he liked Mr. Miyagi's, uh, the accent that uh, Pat Morita gave to him, because that's not how Morita talked at all. He was a very no, not at all. Anglicanized, uh, American accented guy. Um, even going back and watching him in the movie Midway, he still didn't sound overtly uh, Japanese, but um, yeah, Karate Kid uh, Cobra Kai season two just started this week. I have not got to watch it yet. Um, that's on my radar. I'm still paying for YouTube because uh, once you start paying for YouTube not to have those ads, it changes your whole life when you use it as much as I do. Because, damn, I watch a lot of John Oliver and WrestleMania and what else? I love WrestleMania. WrestleMania yeah. is really good. Uh, what culture's good? What culture's um, good? Mm-hmm. What, uh, what else is good? All I know is is uh, I know that it's about that it started, and I have not made my new YouTube account to get my new uh, YouTube Red mm-hmm. uh, subscription for free for the month because I ain't paying for that shit. If I can fucking get around it, fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, I just signed up for the first time and made sure I unsubscribed. It's interesting you bring up Pat Narita because Pat Nar- uh, he he was in a really underrated, completely off the wall, extremely hard to find 80s slapstick comedy movie called Night Patrol. Do you remember this movie? Oh, man, I hoped you were going to say Midnight Madness, uh, but, no. uh, which is another one I haven't seen since it was on HBO originally. I, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I I don't know what else. Who else was in it? Doesn't doesn't. Oh God. Okay, so you remember the you remember the Gong Show, and yeah. they had the unknown comic with oh, yeah. the bag over his head. Yep. Well, it's like the origin of the unknown comic. He's he's a uh, moonlighting cop, and he does he's does stand up comedy at night. He has the bag over his head because he doesn't want anyone to know that he's a cop and. Um, bars late at night dressed as him wearing the bag over his head and telling really bad jokes 
and Pat and Rita is the shit into the stick on one of the uh, uh, misadventures that happens. The the unknown comics doppelganger robs a lesbian pool hall, and <laughs> the guy who is actually the unknown comic shows up to investigate. And they get there, and there are no balls on the pool table, <laughs> but they're still playing pool, and um, <laughs> they're still playing pool. And there are these awesome fucking <laughs> lesbian chicks running this bar, and like, yeah, all he got was a fucking like lousy twenty bucks, but it was the joke he told, and like that was the deal. Was the the doppelganger uh, <laughs> unknown comic told really bad jokes, and he 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 robs the the, the pool hall, and he's like. Hey, uh, what's a lesbian's uh, what's a lesbian's favorite television show? The Dyke Van Dick Show, <laughs> and uh, all of them pull out switchblades and like, if we catch this guy, we're gonna cut his fucking balls off. And then later on, they catch uh, they they get a a rape victim report in a dark alley, and, and nothing funny uh, about Miyagi, that. Miyagi <laughs> Miyagi's like this homeless drunk dude, and he was trying to go to sleep in an alley and put a bag over his head to shield his eyes from the light from a street light. And the, the voice, oh. they, 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 <laughs> they overdub, they overdub his voice with like a little kid's voice because they pulled a gun on him and made him jerk off until he just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. That is was, a uh, far cry from Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, it the, like in after that, like I saw that like I want to say like in '98, and <laughs> after that, uh, Miyagi was ruined. Uh, but uh, Andrew Dice Clay had a really fucking great uh, role in that. He was this other comic who was constantly hounding the manager for the unknown comic to manage him, and he's like, "You want some fucking jokes? I'll tell you a fucking joke. Why the fucking monkey fell off the fucking tree? He was fucking dead." And. <laughs> uh, it was just classic dice, dice man. Did I Sorry, tell you I worked on a on a reality show with him once? With dice man? Yeah, for a minute. Like I think I worked on it for about three or four days. Hmm. What was he like? Uh, dude, you know what? He was totally chill. I was barely around him. What's funny? Okay, so I did. I was working in the production office out in L.A. on this job. And I got this job through a PA buddy of mine from the first job I had out there on that um, Stanley Tucci mid-series replacement or mid-season replacement show that I did. And um, <laughs> my phone decided to look into who uh, Stanley Tucci was suddenly. What did um, it tell you? It, I don't know. That's really weird. It just showed me a bunch of photos. I've never had it do that before. Uh, so I... Uh, yeah, so I met this guy on that show, and then a few months later, he calls me up, and he's like, hey, I'm working on this show with my roommate. So I go out there, and I'm I'm helping out in the office, just searching, doing online searches, and making sure forms get printed off, and sending them to people, and getting packets ready, and not nothing very exciting. Uh, Dice comes through one time, totally chill. He's happy to have everybody there, because this was supposed to be his... Um, what do they call it? Like a revamp, a, a reappearance show? A uh, that can't be right. He, he's had a few failed shows. I remember yeah. he had one with. Uh, I remember he had one with something like that. Like what was that show he had with his the the woman that played his wife was the chick that played Jessica Rabbit. Kathleen Turner was that who? Kathleen, that? yeah, the no one way. From them, yeah, yeah. No, he had a show with her. This was a reality show. 
Not oh. a not scripted television. And we're getting way off topic here, but um, basic. It was it was like a uh, reemergence. I can't think of the right word. I'm sorry. Uh, it was his opportunity to do a reality show when reality shows were still kind of nascent and uh, have people follow him around and film his day-to-day life so that he could get popular again and hopefully get another big role. But um, what's funny is for the limited amount of time I was around him, uh, I spent way more time talking to him at Mel's Diner on uh, uh, Ventura Boulevard out Sherman Oaks way um, just randomly one evening. He was there with a lady friend and he, they were having a really nice conversation. No big deal. And uh, at some point, I think he realized that I turned around and, and saw him. And then we got talking about his show for a second. But the show that I mean, it never got picked up. So that was it. That's my that's my entire dice conversation. But man, I mean, it's just one of those things where I've never liked the character he performs as but in person he was just kind of a really down-to-earth sweetheart i thought uh and i'm not sure if i've ever heard any conflicting conversation on that otherwise but uh i mean it's you know this isn't like any serious uh (laughs) get to know you moment you know I've always wondered what it'd be like to be around one of those comics that had that so much controversy around him especially after the feud that he had with Sam Kinison mm. and, and as a parallel, what would it be like to be around Dennis Leary after everyone knows oh, that he's I a know. piece of shit and stole everything from Bill Hicks? I don't think it makes any difference. Cause if I'm not mistaken, he's still getting all these jobs, uh, voiceover of doing voiceover for, uh, truck commercials. He's still getting jobs in Spider-Man movies or he was, yeah. I mean, he's still getting jobs. Uh, he's his just like so many things. In this country and probably a lot of other countries, people stole something, they made good, they didn't make good, they made money off of it, they made their name, and then they continued to perpetuate themselves. And that's exactly it. I wanted to run this past you last night, but uh, it was really late. Um, we were we went to the Iron Hills wrestling show over at uh, uh, the Union Station here in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. and we were outside smoking, and... We're talking to Tom, and you know, if, if you guys are just starting here, Tom is the guy that helps out with the indie wrestling show that we do separate. But I realized why I like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I thought this gimmick <laughs> came out of nowhere. I this, yeah, I realized it just as a list, and I'm just thinking about Dice Man, smokes cigarettes, likes chicks, Jersey guy, greased hair, and I'm thinking about. Sorry for the ambient noise, guys. It's hot. In Colorado Springs, you know, it's like 60 degrees. I got my window open and I'm oh, baking. shut up. <laughs> and uh, I just just list it off. I, why do I like Stone Cold Steve Austin? He fights. He destroys anything that happens in the ring. If you get in the ring, you're going to get hurt. He drinks beer. He drives big trucks. He's from Texas. He's got a ranch. Big titty blondes. I mean, you really can't fuck with that equation <laughs> why like it's so obvious why was that not written beforehand as, as a wrestling character and i think you think about dice man foul mouth jersey guy kick-ass leather jacket likes big titty chicks uh they're says they're whatever's typical, on his mind they're okay uh dice came out of the 80s right that's yeah, what yeah, was yeah, going yeah, on in the 80s he was one end of the spectrum in the 80s 
Like, did you ever read um, Berkeley Breathed comics? The uh... yes. Okay, yeah, you yes. know who I'm talking about. Billy and the Boingers, and what was it called? What was that? What was that? What were those books called? Oh um, Jesus, uh, uh, it was a weird one. Bloom County, uh, Bloom County Comics. Yeah, and I I feel like a heel. Honestly, I feel really bad because you know money was tight for a while, and I turned all of my I turned all of my uh, Bloom County books over. I sold them all. Um, but you know, hey, it's all stuff that you can get back. Uh, the point being, you remember Steve in those books. Right. He is a frat guy. He is a total the womanizer. He, you know, he's smoking yeah. cigarettes. And then in the '90s, Berkeley looked at it and he said, "Oh, Steve needs a needs a character change because this is the liberal '90s." And suddenly, the guy just was like, he wasn't smoking anymore. He was wearing a sweater. He was nice to women. So I think that Dice was a was a product of his environment. And he knew that that would work and it would sell and it stayed. So how does that guy operate in the early 2000s when I'm not sure that that character really worked anymore? Because you think about go back and look at the Big Lebowski and that show came out in what, 1997, 98, something like that. And it takes place preceding in the run up to the first Gulf War and all of the foul language in the movie, because that was what was going on in the late ni- 80s and the early 90s. All that language. And that was Dice. Dice was language. And if Stone Cold could have got away with that kind of language for the he character, did. I think he would. And um, But he's not like out, out of control with the language on any of his podcasts. He gets bleeped right. occasionally, but he's not going nuts on it. He's not doing the Dice act. But no, these guys no, are products I... of that time. And I think... Stone Cold is part of that spectrum, and I think he is uh, enough of a businessman to know, I'm just going to play myself. That's going to work, because I see this as a dying breed, and people who are going to wrestling shows are going to want to see this. They're going to want to be this. They're going to want to feel it. They don't want to be... Yeah, they don't want to be wearing sweaters. They want, don't want to be in boy bands. They don't want this NKOTB garbage that I'm seeing so much of and whatever yeah. else, you know? It, but at the same time, though, Stone Cold couldn't exist right now. If Stone Cold came out right now in, in the WWE, the, he, he never would have worked. It, he, he would have been just as taboo as Joey Ryan. They, they would not have been able to work with that character. Well, it's it's, it's Attitude Era. It's the 90s. It's yeah. extreme! It's extreme. And, and just circle back before we get into the comics. Uh, one of my favorite moments from Cobra Kai season one, oh, yeah. just to, to draw the parallel, is that Johnny is that quintessential oh. 80s guy driving driving that beat up ass. Uh, was it it was a Trans Am or was it, it was it was a Trans Am or a Corvette? It's not a Corvette. He could not. It was a Trans Am. I guarantee he couldn't have afforded a Corvette. It'd have to have been a Trans Am. It was a beatable Trans Am, but then uh, his his head pupil is like, listen, I got a problem. I got to talk about this girl. Is she hot? No, but no, she, yeah, but like, we got to talk about, I, I'm, I'm, I need some help. Is she hot? Well, I want to <laughs> ask her out. Is she hot? Well, she's a nice girl. Is she hot? Is she hot? Yeah, she's hot. And then, and then finally he's satiated. Nice. <laughs> exactly. Now we can it, talk. The, he's, your, he's the, he's the 80s guy. Yeah, he's the 80s guy. Just tell me she's hot to, like, justify this whole fucking conversation. Because <laughs> if she's I ugly, gotta, it Now I just want to rewatch it. <laughs> I, I know. And uh, just you're right about Dice. Yeah, that. Yeah. All cool. of these guys. No, you know what? Stone Cold could come back. 
There's no reason. You know, he's out on injury. What else is Don't he out it. on? Retired? Um, he's he's retired. He won't do it. He's hurt. He's 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 too concerned about his own mental capacity, CDC, and that sort of thing. Oh, it's terrible. And okay, why it's, can it's we have Rowdy Ronda Rousey in an era where Rowdy Roddy Piper is unfortunately gone from us? You know, why can we have re characters? Why can't there be another? Undertaker. Why can't there be another something? Another, I don't know. Well, all those Hulk guys Hogan. you're talking about, like Stone Cold, Stone Cold Hogan, they all built themselves up. Ronda Rousey showed up in WWE with name brand recognition, with not needing the money and not needing WWE. Stone Cold built himself up from uh, EC Dub, mm-hmm. WCW as the ringmaster, had like Hollywood blondes. He really struggled and built that character up. Rhonda can come in as a badass and say, like, they need they need her more than she needs them, period. To, well, yeah, you know, and we got a good year's worth of work out of her plus. But yeah. um, and she can go away if she wants to, if that's what she's planning on doing right now. And hey, I'm down with that. That's fine. Uh, especially since I think the crowd has given her way too much crap since uh, since Becky started her meteoric rise. And where's where are we going to be a year from now? Are we all going to hate Becky in a year. I'm, not, I'm already I'm already done with it. I'm already honestly, done with it. Honestly, every time I every time she comes out there, all I hear is her being self-aggrandizing, and that's not my champion. I don't want a champion who's no. that self-aggrandizing. She coined the term Becky Two Belts. Nobody else did that. That didn't come with the crowd from the crowd. Yeah. You know, none of that stuff. I can at least see Charlotte. Charlotte is the queen. You She's read my the mind. Queen. She you comes from mind. royalty. That's that. That's all. She deserves to be there. Also, because she's a phenomenal athlete and there's no world where I actually believe that Becky Lynch could defeat Rhonda or Charlotte if it wasn't written to be so. I just just not that specimen. As a good parallel, um, Chris Jericho did it. What do you mean? I want to say 20 years ago. Yeah, it was in 99, I think, when he beat Stone Cold and The Rock for to to become the first undisputed championship. He had the... He had the he had Big Goldie and the heavyweight championship belt. Yeah. He was the first one, and that was believable. That is that is a point of argument that I meet with most wrestling fans. You either were just jumping out of your chair, so ecstatic, or wanting to break everything and spit on the floor, pissed off. <laughs> and but that's that's a good thing though. When when Becky won it, she won off a botch. Second oh, I know. Off, I know. Second off, I mean, she was still going to win, but second off, we knew that Ronda had a broken hand after the fact. And then third off, who cares now? Oh, yeah. Here, we're, we're here now. So that's the thing. Uh, to, <laughs> I don't mean to, don't want to piss anybody off, but to quote uh, one of my favorite ridiculous quotes uh, from Donald Rumsfeld, you go, you go to war with the army you've got. <laughs> so let's live yeah. with the, we made this bed. Let's sleep in it. Let's go. Let's just do what we're doing. Write it out. If you don't like it, let's write it out. Anyway. You know what I do like, though? Fighting. Yeah? And I missed Fight Clip 3 this week. Help me out here. <laughs> well, there's a bound. What a segue. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> Fight Club 3. Let's see. I did not apparently get... I don't think there was one David Mack cover left. So... Uh, 
Duncan Fegredo. Duncan Fegredo. Uh, I got that cover. Um, it's repulsive. This cover is repulsive. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk wrote, wrote it. And yeah. Is, is it Cameron Stewart? So? Yes, it is. The interior artwork is consistently fantastic as it has been. It just works for it. Uh, and it is the same business as Fight Club 2. If you didn't get the opportunity to read that or if you're looking for it, easily attainable in trade paperback or hardback if you really want to fork it over. And I think it's worth it. Uh, but um, yeah, between us, I keep reading the ask misinformation thing up front and I'm looking for some pearls of what's going on here and I'm not coming up with anything. Some I'm, clues. I'm getting, some to the, clues. I'm getting to the point yeah. where I pretty much skimmed it this time. It just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is one of these crazy books. We talked about it in the past. We are pouring over every iota of each frame looking for some little fleck of gold. What's going some on? Some semblance of what the fuck is happening. Exactly. Uh, I'll just say, like, they went into some business uh, in immediately um, sending out, sending the narrator to remaining men together. And uh, he's looking for Ty Tyler everywhere he's going. Uh, he, uh, we have another one of these calendar pages that yeah, shows right? us something that doesn't seem to pertain. The guy that got strapped to the chair in the previous issue uh, crushes a butterfly that comes out of the painting, and then he pulls himself out of it, and he wanders in there, and that's the last we see of it. But um, basically, uh, all of these guys at the uh, testicular cancer... <laughs> Not laughing at that. I'm just laughing at Fight Club for doing it. Um, they all remember him as Cornelius, and they all call him a fraud, uh, amongst other names. And they, uh, they have he he's going around to all the old places. He goes to the Paper Street so Soap Company that's uh, about to get hit by a wrecking ball, and um, he's looking for Tyler every place he goes. And he finally gets the opportunity to talk to him. And uh, we see, we, he wants to know if he got fight clubbed. And I'm wondering exactly huh. how that, per, what, like, what that says. But basically, Tyler, Tyler takes over and goes on a rampage and finds all of these other people who were in Rise or Die in uh, Fight Club 2. And he... Um, uh, harangues them for information. Why are you part of this new thing? Why are you part of this new uh, cult? And, um, or the die-off. Why are you part of die-off? This is all intercut with um, they're moving out of that hotel and Marla is making out with like three or four uh, moving guys simultaneously. So... They are That's all odd. trying desperately to infect her with this with this thing that they've got. And um, anyway, you think it's her. You think it's her rebelling against the whole idea of Tyler, and that she can do whatever she wants. Because one of the things that like sticks out to me in the in the entirety of the first movie and the first book was that you, if you took one look at Marla, you would assume she was probably some slutty chick. Yeah, but exactly. she wasn't. She was absolutely devoted. To Tyler, and now she's slutting around. Is this is this act of rebellion something to uh, make him go away, make him pissed off, make him jealous to finally get his well, attention for good? The narrator is who she is with. 
Tyler was there in Fight Club 2. Right. Tyler had taken over. She was drugging him to get him there. She's not doing that now. So she's either decided not to or learned from her poorer ways or she has been told by narrator, you're not going to be able to do this anymore. Don't do this to me just to get Tyler out. But she's there to be with Tyler, but she's not with him. And the narrator is clearly not a person who satisfies her in any sense of the word. And thus, I think that these opportunities are coming. I don't think that she's rebelling against it. I think these guys are coming at her like, like she's the flame. She gets the opportunity. She's pregnant, but she still gets to be hot because these guys are trying to infect her and she doesn't know it. So she just thinks, oh, my gosh, I'm getting this attention. Don't don't beyond the fact that we are reading into everything as much as possible. Right. Don't right. Don't discount the fact that she's still at her very center, a normal woman, you know. Right. And to be to get attention. Yes, there are women who want attention, but. Men giving a woman who's a women don't feel great about what they look like and feel like when they're pregnant. A lot of the times, I'm not saying that's the case. A hundred percent of the time. Some people are completely excited about it. I can't imagine she's completely excited about it. They live in a cruddy motel. Nothing is going right. He doesn't have a job. The circumstances don't seem comfortable for her. And I can't imagine she feels great about that. She, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I got to be very careful about it. I don't mean as a human male to be telling any lady what it's like to be pregnant, but uh, th- I'm just getting to the to the point that I feel like the, the attention is exciting for her. The crazy fun aspect of this is seeing Tyler and the narrator communicating with one another and not trying to kill each other. But uh, my favorite bit is uh, probably two thirds of the way in. This time, the problem is not you, is it? Not this time, Tyler says. And he says, you're not my enemy. I have never been your enemy. That's that's, what Tyler says. That's confusing. That's confusing to me because one of the main, like, lines from the movie was, uh, what was it, when when Marla first showed up? What did they say? What was the line? Um, And she ruined everything. Well, that and was then, good. And then she dude. takes she takes that puff and she's like, this is cancer, right? Don't think that because uh, keep in mind, okay, dude, you've you've you watched the movie, you've read the book, you've read Fight it, Club yeah. Two. You're 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 reading Fight Club Three. Do not think that Chuck is going to stick with anything consistently as a through line through the entire franchise. And how also, do you feel the he How didn't even know the, that he like the narrator and Tyler, the narrator didn't even know that he and Tyler were one in the same yet. So, yeah. He didn't even know Tyler existed yet. He was going to those meetings to to sleep and it was in flashes, one of those yeah. sudden moments that he wakes up and there's Tyler. So, she ruined everything what she what no, actually I'm sorry, yeah. No, he had something going on with Tyler ahead of time. But uh before he met her, I'm sorry. But uh, so I don't know. That kind of blows up what I had to say. What do you got? I think it's interesting that 
a gay man has such introspective levels of male female relationships from probably his uh, heterosexual friend with female friends uh-huh. that would point these sort of things out to us. I mean, how many times has the light been shined from a perspective that you never thought would actually understand that sort of thing and understand that, yeah, you, she can leave you. You're, you're not, you're not the best thing in the world, but there's something different about this relationship because he's, he's two guys. Uh, one thing I do want to point out that a lot of people uh, probably don't know was that when Chuck came out as gay, it was not under his own volition. He had actually been talking to a reporter that figured it out. And when it was addressed before the article came out, he was so scared that they were going to out him that he outed himself to – so he, not – you know, you, you, when when you've got a problem and you've got a secret and you're worried someone's going to expose your secret, you expose your own secret so you can have control of your own secret. But it, it, he was wronged. Yeah, that's, it, it was, that's... He, he was he was absolutely wronged in, in that sense because the reporter was vehement about, yeah, I'm going to tell everyone, and or I might not, just. He he okay, had to expose what, what did the reporter gain from what what kind is this a big scoop? That's what it, that's how that's how it was approached, man. It was a scoop. I might expose it, I might not. I don't know what's going on. And Chuck had to ex- expose and ruin his privacy, and that that's the part that bothered me was that he had to ruin his own privacy. This was something that was, you know, straight people don't have to tell their parents that they're straight. He yeah, had to sorry. he he had to control his own his own life, but it it definitely violated him. I just thought that was wrong for our listeners. Sorry, I just weird tangent on that sort of thing. That that bothers me. That that bothers me. And, and, well, let but me at ask the same you, time, man, though, I mean, how many of our listeners do you think know anything about that at all? That's why I brought it up. It's it's an interesting moral quandary it's not something that we've you know i mean we're watching so much star trek and we're talking about moral quandaries all the time it's an interesting moral quandary to say uh whose responsibility is it or is it anybody's responsibility or can't we just assume that people are people and why does this make any difference if you suddenly saw someone walking down the street hand in hand with somebody uh of the same gender, does it make any difference at all? I no, mean, it, it doesn't. You, you, what you should see is like, hey, two people in love, great. Not like, oh god, a guy and a guy holding hands. I'm way no, more great. concerned with whether or not somebody's, and I'm not really that concerned, paying their taxes or you know breaking the law than being a per- and I guess productive member of society. Is that our uh, legislature is so you know, in everybody's face about whether or not any of this is law-breaking and such. It's just, ugh. One thing I do want to point out before we move on from Fight Club is that Chuck is credited for the invention of a new form of literacy called transgressive literature. Oh my gosh. Okay, hit me. Transgressive literature is something... Okay, for, for example... You've heard the the term snowflake, right? Yeah. He invented that term. That's where that's where the word came from was Fight Club. The the I'm I'm a beautiful unique snowflake. Okay. 
like you know, like but you know, the opposite. But Tyler says you are not a beautiful, unique snowflake. That's where that word comes. He's credited for creating that term. Transgressive literature is the where Chuck always comes from. There's no real happy ending. It's a bunch of miscreants up to no good. But at the same time, who says they're up to really no good? I mean, they're really just living their lives and somehow they're getting away with it. Choke, uh, diary, uh, fight club. It's transgressive. That that's the term that it came from. And transgressive, we'll, we'll, like aggressive? Transgressive. No, I know, but it's I'm a, like, is it a blending of those words? Yes, yes. Fantastic. Yes, it's 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 not something that you would say that you can never call Chuck Palonic. And by the way, for everyone that's listening, it's Palonic. I've heard it out of his own goddamn mouth. That's how you say <laughs> his last name. Uh it's Palonic. Transgressive transgressive literature. Is there really a good guy in this? They're all tweeners, you know? Like Wait, they're are, is there good guy? Are there good guys and bad guys in our daily lives? I mean, what it depends on what you consider yourself. That's why it's so hard Fascinating. hitting. Fascinating. That's why it's so hard hitting. Uh, another thing that he said, if you guys are writers, uh, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten, other than like one of the two things I won't say on 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 <laughs> recorded tape. Uh, he says, no matter how good of a writer you are, always workshop, always workshop, always question yourself, go to other people, have them dissect your stuff. If you like it or you don't like it, do what you will with it. But man, it hurts. It's scary. Uh, always workshop. You can't ever, you know, you got to figure out what you're married to when it comes to what you're writing, but you got to be allowed. You got to be able to let people mold that stuff. I, yeah, man. Oh, it's it's uncomfortable, but do it anyways. Guys, if if you're curious, just look it up. Transgressive literature. There's a huge Wikipedia article on it. Uh, I heard I'll it on a podcast a couple of years ago. Uh, it's it's something that needs to be studied. It's a it's a new form of literature. It's it's a new form of thought process that there's not a good guy or a bad guy. These are my desires. I'm going to get them. I may or may not hurt anyone on the way to get there. But, you know, I'm going to make my qualms. Sounds like uh, sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons. uh, Not an affiliation, uh, an alignment. Sounds like trying to figure out what your alignment is. (laughs) Are you chaotic? It's chaotic neutral. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) It's chaotic neutral. I've always kind of considered myself to be lawful evil, but I'm really probably a little bit nicer than that. (laughs) Probably. Probably more all right with the world, uh, but anyway. What you got next, man? What do we got? Uh, let's, uh, you know, okay, you know, just because we're, okay, you know, let's say Thanos for last. Thanos number one. We did do, we did get Thanos number one. I know we both read it because I know that'll segue nicely into us giving a major spoiler situation for uh avengers endgame so let's do that last i'm gonna put that on the bottom yeah if if, if you didn't see the goddamn movie yet oh dude come on hype. i i did yeah. i would be i would be watching it right now if i hadn't got the opportunity to see it on uh thursday night which yeah, but you know, we're, we're warning people we're not being assholes just ruining ruining uh ruining the movie like i used to do for the walking dead when the walking dead first came out on tv tv every time i got mad i would like post some like by the way, uh, don't get too attached to Shane. <laughs> yeah, that's chaotic evil right there. 
let, let, let's, let's do let's Doctor, do Doctor Strange. Strange. Wanna, yeah, I'm holding it. I want to talk about Galactus. I've been itching to talk about Galactus for yeah, a while. Yeah, go dude. for it. Well, you, you know, you first, man. Oh, You're well, we got, we've got it. We got another Mark Wade book. It's uh, Barry Kitson, Scott Koblish, Scott Hanna, and Brian Reber all working on it. It's a big dude book. It's a sausage fest of a of a story right now, or of a book. Um, you know, I'm I I'm back and forth on this one. I just don't know how I feel about it. Uh, some of it feels a little bit better than others. It was kind. It's it's kind of awesome to like. For one thing, we've got Doctor Strange trying to find a way to get Galactus back into his own reality. You might sit right, there because... and go, why would we want Galactus in our own reality? My son even asked me that the, uh, last night. He was wanting to talk about Galactus because we were uh, we were reading um, some of the uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning Annihilation books. And he, had, he didn't understand the concept of the Heralds. He didn't understand why Silver Surfer was doing anything let alone blah 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 because we so, I, so you you got to talk Norrin rad with your boy tonight that's awesome a little bit yeah it was cool because galactus specifically called him Norrin rad but um so you know galactus got ripped into this other aspect of the universe and it's not our reality and i the like mystic realm the what's the what the mystic he realm? got ripped into the mystic realm yeah. uh, uh strange basically is trying to get him out of it and who who the hell did sent them there? It was God. You know that's the problem. I don't even remember. I don't know. Uh, now that's a problem. That's that is a problem. a problem. The fact that you don't remember. You you're, you're a faithful Doctor Strange reader that we don't. Oh remember right, how... here we go. Yeah, uh, it's you know guys, it's all on the first page. I could have reread the thing, but I just read the book because I was like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Doctor Strange interact with Galactus. Uh, Zolas, Zolas. Yeah, a guy, an alien mystic from another universe was who, who, where they do more mysticism than science showed up and was like, Dr. Strange, your universe, you're the Sorcerer Supreme here. I'm the Sorcerer Supreme of where I'm from. How do you guys cope with Galactus where you are, you're from? And of course they're, this guy's pompous, arrogant, right. and he can't understand why another Sorcerer Supreme would be way less capable than he is. And then he decides that he can, that strange can be pushed around. Uh, he's a teenager. He's a teenager. that just got his first hair on ball and just like banished Galactus to, to, to the mystic realm. Yeah. The to, guys, to, to feed off the planets that are going to poison him. I keep thinking the best part of the Dr. Strange series is that the whole last days of magic persists to this day because Dr. Strange has been slowly rebuilding himself for years at this point, right. years of our lifetime, years of storyline uh, in an attempt Even to, because magic was eliminated in our reality by a group of beings called the empirical. And there were still paint. We're still dealing with it. We're still, this is the book. This and Daredevil, I'm going to say, are the two books in the Marvel Universe where things that have happened persist to be dealt with to this point. And uh, we're still seeing it. So Doctor Strange is not as highly capable as he was. I'm going to say the things that I liked about this in particular was that I've never been able to figure out how to say this name. Clea or Clea? I don't know what I, you know. I, I, I said just don't Clea in my head. 
I said Clea in my head. <clears throat> yeah, because uh, it's written. Uh, there's there is a beautiful. I love this actress. Uh, her name is I think Bree Grant. She was on Heroes and she was in Friday Night Lights. I've had a crush on her for years just because I think she's cute and fun. And she also writes comics. Uh, uh, she she works with somebody on a title that uh, I don't think it's running anymore. It's called We Will Bury You. Um, just a really she just she's just a cute girl. Bree Grant, Bria Grant. I don't know how to say her name. It's the same situation here. Clee, Clea. I've never been able to say it. I can't find it uh, phonetically written out. Anyway, this is Doctor Strange's ex-wife. She shows up here to help save the day. And, um, of course, she's kind of the queen of the Dark Force dimension these days. Um, right. Yeah. It's just awesome to have her pop in virtually anytime. And she seems to be working with one of her arch nemeses. And uh, that's, I mean, honestly, that's all I've got. Because really, Galactus My feels like he's been poisoned because he can't eat the stuff that's from this universe. Well, he is eating it, but it's still poisoning him. And it's giving yeah. him a taste for mystical objects. Mm -hmm. And his word spreads that the the doctor has made a pact with the devil to in order to be his herald, in order to calm his ass down for him to figure out how to get him the hell out of there, to get him back for some reason into our actual realm. And... The thing about that really grabbed me by the boo boo on this comic was the responsibility. And when you said when when you said earlier that they're building up Doctor Strange like for so long, like losing his powers even before the movie came out. Like this is one of the few times they really did like a real good like they did not do a cash grab. Oh they yeah, totally. Like, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, they you're right. They didn't just like relaunch the whole title yeah. or something based around the movie. Damn, dude, you're right. Thank you for that, guys. I really appreciate that. The power of uh, probably Mark's Mark Wade's editors to just be like, no, we're going to we're going to stick with this. Right. And the responsibility. I can't just feed him what I want. I mean, he can conjure up whatever the hell he wants, but we got to figure out how to get him out of here responsibly and no one understands that and now he's made a deal with the devil in order to be you know help me out help help give me the powers to or help with your powers to get him out of here and i'm gonna have to be his herald once we get this figured out um want to segue into the new fantastic four right on yeah now we we've bitched about this before the fact that you know wolverine's in every team and he's over here he's over there how the hell is all this happening at the same time uh it's odd to me that we're actually having this problem and conundrum with galactus right now because fantastic <laughs> four number nine uh he's been assimilated into the into mount doom uh for some reason dr doom actually figured out a way to uh harness the the, the power of someone that would they say like like i think the quote was someone that could have survived the big bang mm. And this Fantastic Four number nine, uh, written by Dan Slott. Love him. Oh, yeah. Artist Aaron Cooter, uh, Stefano Caselli, and Paco Medina. Uh, color artist Eric Archinega. And, of course, letterer Joe Caramanga. Ooh, Joe Caramanga. Well, we got to talk to that guy. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so Doom's got the four imprisoned in four separate cubes all with their own ingenious design to keep them in stasis. They've got Dr. Uh, Mr. Fantastic stretched to the point where if anything 
like a bee flies to the room and a vibration happens, it's going to shatter him. It's like below absolute zero. He stretched the absolute point he can stretch. They've got Sue in her own confinement realm. They've got Johnny like underwater and doom is doing his best to embarrass them on TV because he's about to execute them. And Prove to the world that Latveria is the number one energy constituent. Like, you're all going to come to me because he's harnessing the power of Galactus. And Sue, in her ingenious ways, figures out a new way to use her power. She doesn't just make herself invisible. She figures out how to make things peripheral to herself invisible. So while Doom is on television professing to the world that he's Mr. Billy Badass and has defeated the four makes Doom's armor invisible. And on television, everyone sees buck-naked, scarred Doom, and he just crumbles. He just crumbles. Like, he's trying to use his hands to shield his face, (laughs) and she makes his hands invisible in order to do that. And while that, Johnny figures out how to use his powers in order to heat the water around him and, and condense the power. And they have this awesome breakout. Um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Fantastic figures out a way to free Galactus. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the great things about Fantastic Four comics. You're going to get four or six in a row and it's going to be nice, tight package done. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Um, that's fun. Yeah, but you know Galactus is, but we're Galactus. Well, what was that, bro? Was I mean, Galactus me. is one gigantic character that. Yeah, you got something going on. The, the reason, the answer to the question you've got about why is he in two books simultaneously this month is the same answer to the same question of why Wolverine would be everywhere, why Spider Man is he's badass. Know, he's he's showing up in four concurrent titles, or why Deadpool or. Gwenpool is everywhere or whatever the crap it's because these guys are writing this stuff uh months ago or a month ago or something and whatever it takes to get the book out and it's got a release schedule and if it's remotely on schedule these things are just going to happen you know parallel to one another whether it makes any sense or not I, I used to complain about it, but, you know, that's just the way the business is run. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not these editors are sitting down and having coffee and, oh, what are you doing with uh, Wolverine this month? Because, uh, you know, or like, why, why is, why would any of the Avengers or anybody else not be paying attention to the giant impenetrable dome over Central <laughs> Park right now in yeah. Amazing Spider-Man? That's. You know, it's the same question I have I about Iron about Man it. 3. Where is Captain America during all of Iron Man 3? And why isn't he helping out? The freaking, this is a national emergency with the Mandarin, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole different thing. That's a question. Do you want to spend a Chris Evans appearance in that movie for blah, blah, blah? No, I mean, okay. I mean, it's just, we're, you can't get them all together at the same time. It made no sense that Cap wasn't in that movie, especially the PTSD that he'd been experiencing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's move on. It was great talking about Galactus. I'm glad that the writers actually were, even though they probably didn't sit down together, they were pretty on par about how Galactus is going to behave in general. At the end of Fantastic Four, he leaves Earth instead of you know devouring it despite his hunger. 
yeah. he, he understands. Like that was that was a, a nice little uh, cherry on top of the ice cream sundae that he was like, okay, you guys saved me. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'll find something else to, to eat. You know, it it begs the question: what do you what does any what does any uh, critter do when they don't want to be eaten by a bigger, more dangerous predatory critter? They either disguise themselves over time to make themselves right. look bigger and more dangerous than they are. Okay, so we have the ultimate nullifier, or we right. have a giant thing on the surface of the earth that makes it look we cover we cover Wakanda in a hologram. We can cover the planet in a hologram that makes it look like a barren, dusty world with some kind of readings we're constantly putting off to detract uh from the poss- possibility that we look tasty. Or, you know, you make yourself taste bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's that. Or you, and then, or you adjust the vibrations. You yeah, adjust something the vibrations like that. The energy. Yeah, it like is, in Star Trek. As much as I... Oh, that's right. Yeah, Junior. Totally. Yeah. Uh, what episode is that? I think it's that, Junior, isn't it? Uh, it was the last one I watched. Oh, when the bow with... breaks. I don't, uh, I don't know. They 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 had nightmares. Remember, they they the Troy had nightmares. No one else could dream, and it was driving everyone crazy. Aria and they 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 killed the mom of this weird entity, and like they had to do a, a intergalactic C section. Yep. And, yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was the one with Doctor Leah Burns. <coughs> uh, okay. Uh, so what it, what it amounts to is what I'm saying is two things, and I think we covered this once this in discussion probably even really recently why is galactus still constantly showing up in marvel comics yes he's a popular interesting threat but he has been defanged so many times can we please come up with a different world ending crisis you know that Someone does need to take over the the helm and make a Galactus comic, give him a new herald, and take him to new parts of space. Just have fun in random parts parts of space. If we Why didn't not? see Galactus for I don't know six solid years, come to Earth for any reason, I would feel I would I would wake up one day and go, you know, I haven't seen Galactus in a while. I wonder what that sucker's doing. And then I'd be like, hey. uh comic book store guy what what's going on with galactus these days oh we haven't seen him in like six years and the same thing could be said for an infinity gems guys the movie came out we're done with infinity stuff let's not have any infinity stuff for a while a long oh God, while please, please like 20 years please no more gems for i want i want to see dr strange get the time stone back and have the time stone in the all-seeing eye of agamotto in the next dr strange movie but i don't need any more Infinity Gem crapola in movies or video or uh, comic books for a while. It's it's, just, it's over. It's oversaturated. There are it's plenty wide. of interesting other iconic items in the Marvel universe. The next Doctor Strange movie could be totally about awesome totems. You know, the Wand of Watum, the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, which I dare say I think he used against Thanos in Infinity War. But like. Yeah. If you're out there listening, guys who have some control over this or whatever, you have a cool story, maybe, you know, take a page from Next Generation and go, okay, maybe the pink aliens that got in and out, or maybe the bugs we thought that the Borg were going to be, let's just make them the Borg. 
let's invent something completely different. Okay, the Ferengi didn't work out or we're tired of them, so let's invent the Borg. Let's do something different that's giant and world-ending. Did, did, did you say Ferengi? Did you say Star Trek, as in Star Trek Year 5, Number 1 by ADW? Yeah, let's, let's segue into that. Let's stay out in space. <laughs> let's stay in space, <laughs> Let's God not get it. terrestrial for a minute. Yeah, Star Trek Year 5, Number 1. Pretty freaking great. It was great. I loved it. Let me let me hit the uh, let me do the credits and then you take off with it. This was uh, duly written by Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly. The artist is Stephen Thompson, who I'm going to say I don't think the guy was tracing, but this looked damn fine. The guy really got the emotional expressions, the faces, the stances to look really, really good all over the place. Uh, Charlie Kershoff, colorist and uh, Neil Uitake, I'm going to say, is the letterer. Carry on, sir. This was beyond me. This is something that is new to me in terms of Star Trek, because my knowledge comes from all the movies, and now next gen up to, like, like I want to say, uh, season four, episode 15. That's where my knowledge is. Not quite used to seeing anyone in control other than Picard. I do like uh, the chat but I don't like how spread out everyone's actual abilities are in next gen. This one, like, like I, I, oh, I beg I the question. Yeah. I, I build the. I build. I, I beg the question. Why doesn't next gen have a science officer? And it's my buddy data. Jeremy's. Yeah, my my buddy Jeremy's like it's it's data, but he's not really a science officer. But at the same time, everyone has a science background, so it's kind of a moot point. Uh, Yeah, uh, sorry, interjecting on that, it begs the question: if he wasn't the third officer, and thus the the uh, in the position of being the ops officer, I guarantee Data would be in a blue uniform. There's got to be an alternate reality where Data's in a blue uniform because he's not the operations officer. Right. Carry on. Right. Um, okay, so it's it's the beginning of year four, or sorry, beginning of year five. Uh, Kirk's about, he just got promoted to Admiral. No, no, he's he has not happy. Sorry, he has not yet. I, I thought that's what they, that they started it with, was that he no, was... I, I was just going to say, like, it makes, it occurs to me because I was flipping through it, to think that, okay, so it's the five-year mission. That was the original right. series, and it only got to portray three of those five years. And then we would have had Star Trek Phase 2, and then they said, no, let's just do a movie because Star Wars seems to be working. So let's do Star Trek The Motion Picture. That's where he's an admiral. So what we know is that Kirk comes back. One of He, is, he has the only successful Constitution-class ship to, re- to return from its five-year mission to unknown regions. Right where the ship wasn't lost or destroyed <clears throat> or the project was abandoned because of something we don't know what. And they come back successfully. And of course they're going to be like, boom, we got to promote you to Admiral. You're awesome. But right. that's a bad decision because he is in his, the it's, it's a really great book, best destiny. And it takes from a quote from star Trek uh, two. He's the Admiral then, but that means he's pushing a desk and he's no longer in command of the enterprise. It's fascinating to think that Starfleet would be looking at Kirk. You're doing so well out there. 
yeah, people are dying all the time on your ship, but that doesn't mean that your mission isn't a massive success because yeah, you've right. at least got to the end of the beginning of your fifth year. We're already going to be ta- tapping you for Admiral when you get back home. And what's more, he knows it. So he's got a full year of this thing weighing his soul down. Is this my next obvious thing that I have to do? But can he deny a promotion? So yeah, that's that's where you get with that. Yeah, and I I'm you know, for anybody who hasn't read it and for anybody who has Joshua's level of understanding of of, of the uh, Trek chronology, that's where we are with things. I I I'm thinking about the idea of promoting Kirk or even promoting Picard. These guys we can't control them. How can we control them? Promote them. Oh, get someone, get someone in the, get someone in the seat that we can control. Good <laughs> thinking, logical concept. Um, I'm gonna say I think I was listening to YouTube. Um, what is the guy? Lore, ma- uh, the lore, lore masters. Um, Trek lore. I can't think of it. I'm sorry, and I'm a subscriber. There's a a guy that does another. I don't know if it's a podcast, but a YouTube. Uh, lore remastered. Lore remastered. I think he threw out that concept in a video I was listening to about Star Trek four recently. That's a great idea though, dude. Um, yeah, I mean, Kirk is not somebody who's easily controlled. No. So how do you no, control they, they... Picard's Picard's a too much of a team player though. I don't think anybody ever has to concern themselves with whether or not they need to promote him. And really and truly, when you get to Star Trek Generations, the uh, seventh movie, the conversation is going to be had between them. And I think that you'll be gratified in that moment. Picard understands that he's the lesser of his parts. He realizes that everyone that is on the the ship, like when, like, I remember uh, Crusher in that episode when... uh, she was trapped in that world where she was disappearing in, in that weird warp zone that Wesley accidentally made. Oh yeah. The and static she, warp she, bubble. Yep. Yeah. She, she approaches Picard and she says, I need you to trust me in this. And he says, I will always trust you in anything you say. Mm-hmm. And he, he has that same trust in all of his, all of his main officers. And Tim LaForge is like, we've got a crazy idea. Let me hear it. Make it so. Yeah. And uh, like the lot, one of the last episodes where Data, when they got trapped in that wormhole, and yeah. Data's Data's hiding the fact that you know I can't tell you about anything, and everyone's questioning Data because they they know he's lying about something, or he's not lying; he's withholding information. That bothered me. That put me on edge. That Picard would question Data in in that sense, because I know he's malfunctioned before when when he got called back. By his creator, and you know, obviously the the, the main program, like oh right, you know, he, yeah, he, he he takes over everything just to get to where he's going, systematically. But at the same time, he didn't do that. Why not trust him? That bothered the living shit out of me about that episode. Is there a and is there a trust issue you're encountering here, or are you comparing crews? I'm I'm comparing crews and the and, and a trust issue. <clears throat> the fact that if Data's lying to you. Um, maybe you should shut the fuck up. <laughs> maybe you should, 
if data is withholding something from you and he can't tell you something and risking his own career in Starfleet, maybe you should be like, maybe we should get the hell out of here and not worry about this. That's and that begs a question though. Uh, you're human on a ship full of other living sentient crew members. They bring that up at the end. We're human. We can't help but want to solve a mystery. Well, not the mystery, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. But what about this guy doesn't make sense to us? He could be malfunctioning. He could be uh, reprogrammed. So we could have gone through a weird pocket of space with something that affects only soon type androids with positronic brains. We don't know why he's acting like that. We have to figure it out. We can't 100% trust it. Just like this, if you look at the... Uh, how many places do we see somebody being in the original series, and I know you're not a million percent familiar with that, uh, be vaguely racist against Spock because he's an alien and he's the right. first officer? And you go back and you look at... Uh, you even go back and look at the first episode of Star Trek ever, and you've got the captain saying, I can't get used to having a woman on the bridge. That is, of course, a product of its time period, right. in, you know, the, the 60s. But nevertheless, you've still got Captain Kirk doing different stuff. Uh, even so, dude, I mean... Are these diamond-based creatures, or are they... Oh, yeah, or... they're, they are uh, silicon-based, the Tholans. Yeah, I... They I are. had more fun talking about this with Jeremy and the smoke shack at work because uh-huh. I was like, it, it, all it made me think was, okay, so they show up on the planet, uh, all these silicon-based things that are diamond hard, the phasers don't work on them. There's one living creature left. Uh, Spock figures out a way to destroy it with Kirk. And yeah, awesome. they find the baby, you know, three to beam up, uh, one extra to beam up, actually. Yeah. But I had more fun talking about uh, with Jeremy. Have you ever heard that there's the theory that silicon-based creatures exist on Titan. Yeah, sure. That was more fun to talk about. I felt like this was <coughs> one of those things where someone had a lot of fun peppering it with scientific mythos and fact and then old-school fun with the original crew because obviously Bones is like the funniest thing that's ever happened. Oh, he's and, great. Oh, he's great. And I had more fun talking about it. it like. I've had more fun talking about this with you and Jeremy than I did actually reading the comic book. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I mean, what it really boils down to is uh, that they encounter. Yeah, it's the beginning of year five. Uh, Sorry, first page. You've got this business of uh, Kirk's got a gun to his head. And uh, I'm hoping that ties into something because that's an awful place to start a book and then not finish it by the end. Right. But um, and then never even bring it up again. But he uh, they they go to a world and they encounter the Tholians. And I know you don't know who the Tholians are, really, but they are crystal creatures. And uh, the first episode ever that incorporated them was the Tholian web. Um, They they like to incapacitate you and then. achingly slowly build a laser web around your ship so that it can't go anywhere uh like denying you the ability to continue forward but um yeah you know like the crew interactions were perfect in this the characterizations are spot on the artwork is phenomenal it is a yeah it is 
it is a dense, dense book. If you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to pick this up, I'm going to say IDW does it again with Star Trek. Uh, they always do. You're fine. Always do. Yeah. Uh, great paper, great artists, great oh, writers, yeah. great uh, variants. And if you flipped uh, your question at the end, when we first, actually the beginning, when we first talking about it, flip to the end mm-hmm. and see the actual pencils and inks before they got oh, like digitized. The thumbnails, the blue. Yeah. It's beautiful. It looks really, really good. Why uh, wouldn't we want to see that? And thank you for showing us those ideas. Yeah. Thank I feel, you. You know, it's it, we, there's so much opportunity for that for every company to constantly jam more content at us. I'm I'm shocked that we still are doing so many variant covers all of the time. Uh, I don't know why some of them are worth doing versus others. You know, uh, it's just your choice as a consumer, what you're going to pick up. And I guess it's an incentive to get there on Wednesday and buy it up so that you guys, so that, you know, everybody can feel like it's going, but, um, yeah, on the other end of it, it's like, they're constantly saying somewhere in the book for more content, go here, check out these guys' websites. Go to, you know, if you like something you read this week, go to the website and see what else there is. You're always, the, the, the creators are always going to have something to say about it. And if there's a letters page, read something, you know, see what they have to say about it. I want to do a speed read on three comics and then uh, I'll like to let you take the helm on uh, Black Widow. All right. Spawn number 296. Written by Todd McFarlane, art by Jason Sean Alexander, plot by McFarlane and John Goff, lettering by, by Tom Orzazowski, uh, colors by FCO Plasencia, Greg Menzi. Um, okay, so the last time I talked about Spawn, I said it was a great moment to pick up Spawn, mm-hmm. a great jumping off point. This one is titled The History of Spawn Part 1, 296 and Road to 300. It is a giant retelling of Spawn's history by a bunch of his villains that are about to drop the hammer. Yeah. The artwork is the artwork is phenomenal. Uh, it's painted. It's charcoal. I, I mean, this is physical art. This this is this is something that made me really happy. If you need a crash course in Spawn, read this comic. You're about to get. Hopefully something good. I don't want to put all that money on that pony because I've put money money on that spawn pony before and been really disappointed. Same thing with the uh, Wicked and Divine number forty three. Mm. Uh, Karen Gillian is knocking it out of the park, or was like it, this. Reminded me of back in art school when you have to show up with your artwork and explain it to everyone. And it's just a bullshit fest. They're wrapping it up. It's 43 <laughs> getting to it's it's 43 43 getting to 45, which is going to be the end one. This was a lot of shitty poetry and convoluted mess that really like why are you doing this to me? Like you have been so good so far and now you're trying to pass a piece of shit off as 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 Shakespeare. You're you're trying to wrap things up as fast as possible and if I had not reread this twice already, I wouldn't have gotten it. it like like our, 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 my bitch about fucking uh, watching Prometheus. I had to watch it three times. This is the third time with the Wikipedia page open to figure out who oh, the hell man, that guy yeah. is. It, that's how this came off. And I'm, I'm hoping they wrap it up well, but uh, shame on you. Like this was 
Obviously, <laughs> you were you were distracted by a new girlfriend or a new comic book you're writing, but this was shit. Um, Superior Spider-Man number five. We've got uh, Christos uh, Gage as writer. Mike Harthone is penciler. Wade Vaughn... Uh, Raw Badger and Andy Owens Inkers, Jordi uh, Belair is colorist. Uh, VCs Clayton Coles, man, these VC guys are awesome. Dude, you know what and we then, need? We need a uh, we need a guy on a third mic. That's uh, <laughs> we need a guy that's just like the announcer on Wheel of Fortune or uh, the dude on Jimmy Kimmel or what? I don't know any of yeah. these guys' names. To that 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 can read <laughs> and pronounce <laughs> every one of the <laughs> name credits. I will find someone that can read better than us. It's uh, <laughs> rough. Superior Spider-Man. We're talking number five. It's this is. It was good. It wasn't bad. I'd give it a out of out of five. I'd give it a solid three. Maybe a, no, actually I'd give it like a two and a half. Mm. This is still Doc Ock as Spidey. It's, Still Doc Ock as Spidey in San Francisco, the the midget chick that he was in love with when he was the Superior Spider-Man in Parker's body knows who he is. And this is a this is a moral tale. This is about cheating. This is about staying true to yourself, constantly having someone call you on stuff. And it completely eclipses actual action and storylines that like. He's not really in, engaged with the bad guys. So, we, like uh, in issue three, he's fighting Terax. He causes what? all this Why? damage. Terax? Yeah, he, he causes all this damage in San Francisco, and then now it's about like, well, you got to be nice to the people you're trying to save. And he's like, why? Uh, like, what did I do wrong? He's he's Who? just a logical Terex person. Terax told Doc Ock he needed to be nice to people. No, no, the the major chick that he was in love oh, with. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners, I can't remember her name. Anyway, um, this is more of a God, a moral tale. He's he's engaging more with his emotions and whether or not he should tell his new girlfriend he, or chick he's going on a date with that he's Doc Ock in this body while she's telling him he's she's had she just got out of a divorce and he was a liar. And it, it's it's. Wait, he's it, going out on a date with a new girl that's not the little girl. That, yeah, the, the, you, yeah, and and what the little the girl's what, like, "Hey, I thought he was in love a, with her." Yeah, but he's going on a date with this girl, and she's like, "Yeah, well, she's she need to tell her eventually." And it, it's a moral, it's a moral tale, and I don't like that within the tales of Spidey, especially you would even engage Doc Ock with morals. <clears throat> that's the, all very. The, uh... That's all very. Uh, it's 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 wasted print. It's wasted yeah. print. Go go do a seminar. Go do a workshop. Don't put it in the fucking pages of a of a comic book. You're you're wasting our time. Do you see a world? I mean, like Superior Spider Man has its definitely has its moments. I was a not not into it in like 2012 when it started up. And I remember, but that was Dan Slott and that was different. This one's a moral tale. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm just saying, I mean, like whether or not Dan Slott's writing the character, do we see this character persisting? Do we see the opportunity for Dr. Octopus as Peter or as a version of Peter or however the hell they're actually making this maintain itself? Do we see Dr. Octopus having a baby face turn that is persistent and consistent and works 
Uh, because a, a character like that, that has the capacity to do the right things, that's the Submariner, you know, it works. He's in yeah, it. But the Mariner, the Mariner has a better backbone. This, this is just like, why would you inflict Doc Ock, who is not a, a well-rounded character? Because you He's, get the opportunity to take him from not A to Z, but from J to Z. You get the opportunity. Somebody, you're standing on the foundation of a giant. Somebody who controlled Spider-Man as a title for so long, and it freaking worked. And like we're writing this, so we're either writing this out until it doesn't make money anymore, or we're gonna do something great with it and maintain it and keep it cool, and people are gonna keep paying for it. And right. A, me, I always say anything that's not happening in New York and Marvel is awesome, even if it sucks, because there's a whole other world out there and it's not all space. Um, well, so what I'm getting, you know what I'm getting at? I can take I, I a do. good guy who is completely arrogant. Saving the day and being a jerk about it. Uh even if it is a slow development over time to see him. Yeah, he can still be the superior Spider-Man, even if he's got his short friend telling him, you know, yeah, you got to be a good guy about it. You can be a good guy and not be nice about it, but why not just try to be nice about it? Well, the moral tale eclipses the actual fun parts of reading comics. All right. Yeah, I know that's harsh. It, it, it just like I, I can always go for a good moral tale. Uh, like he tries like there's one like the wax man finds out he's a, he's working with this guy, finds out he's a serial killer, freezes him and then breaks him. Mm -hmm. the, the destroys him, kills him. But I see what the, the writer's getting at. But go right for Law and Order SVU, not Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. Not Spider-Man. Um. It, it it just it, it's over eclipsing. Yeah, I know not to lie to my girlfriends. I get it, but it it it, it over eclipses everything. I, I, I don't I understand. Get, I, I understand what you're saying. The frustration exists because we are more more rounded persons than perhaps some other readers. So this doesn't appeal to us when it's the most. When you're trying to reach the most, the biggest audience you can with something that is generally suited to as many people as possible, and this is too confined to, you know, moral cause. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that, I don't know. That's I mean, all it's I like, have to say about it, man. It's when somebody shows up preaching a platitude. Hey, you shouldn't beat your wife. Yeah, well, yeah, we all we know that. <laughs> and what, what, what wife beater? is reading Spider-Man and going to say, oh, I gosh, I guess I shouldn't do this anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. it's obvious. It's like, you know, you shouldn't smoke. Obviously, you shouldn't smoke, but people are doing it. You know, and that's funny because you're run they're running ads now about people who are trying to quit smoking, who are being uh, emotionally beaten down by the fact that people are constantly telling them they're not supposed to smoke. And it's, right. you know what I mean? It's just so... Let's segue into uh, Amazing Spider-Man real quick before we get to Black Widow, because we're just yeah. going to gloss over Let's this right now. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, okay. uh, it's the retelling from uh, HU. Uh, Lizard is in the actual Central Park. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's not much to go for, for here, you know? I mean, this is just... Now we find... The only plot point is that... Um, These guys are stuck in the suits. They can't get out. Yeah. The, the, the a-holes who are paying to kill people who are totemic animal bad guys, um, let alone Spidey and other possible good guys that are animal related, which why the hell aren't any of them in there? Uh, for that matter, why isn't Ant-Man in there? Why isn't, um, the Falcon in there? You know, they're animal related. Uh, but, um, it's like in the matrix, you die in the matrix, you die in real life. And that's what they've taken it to that point. You know? Yeah. So what you took a ton of their money (laughs) And now you can donate that to World Wildlife Fund or something like that uh, at the end. Uh, honestly, I'm ready for this story to come to its ultimate conclusion. And I'm just going to say, you know, you and I both know, as we've been saying, the, the you know, if the issue number is 20 and they have a dot HU, that's where the emotion is. That's where the story is. This is just the flagship. This, this is the transmission of the car that's getting us somewhere and uh, the the real joy of the ride is in the uh, in the dot HU books. Agreed. And now it just really needs to come down to the clone son, official son of uh, Craven. Yeah. To really throw down with Spider-Man and the lizard. And we'll see what happens. It's, it's going to be good. But well, I hope so. Uh, this was a, a segue episode or issue. Do, yeah. you, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm ready for uh, I'm ready for another HU or I'm ready for this to uh, come to its conclusion. I want to see Peter. I'm like, I just I want to see Peter. I want to see Peter and Black Cat have another conversation. Agreed. I want to see Billy Connors, the the young lizard who's in jeopardy. I hated that he was a whiny child in this. The guy is a tweenager who left home to go meet a girl that he was chatting with online. So the fact that he was a crying wimp in this issue, even after all the hours of captivity and all this craziness going around him, how much more weird can his life be? We're really talking too much about this issue now. How much more weird (laughs) can his life be outside of the fact that he's already a lizard and he can't take it? It's the same complaint I have about Harry Potter. Like by Harry Potter five, he should have at no point uh, a sudden like wowie zowie moment where oh my gosh <laughs> magic is happening. It fucking happens to you all the time in every book. Why is the fact that you can jump into a boot so amazing, uh, or whatever? And like the kid being a crying child at this point. No, I need him to take on the lizard persona. That's where this needs to go. He needs to slash somebody's face off and be like, oh my God, the lizard is overtaking him. That would be the meat and potatoes. That would be the real switch here. That would be the dynamic next thing that needs to happen. Yes, the lizard got beat down because he's got a thing in his spine or in his neck that's making him not vicious anymore. The child needs to take over. Don't be a whiny bitch. Don't let the black cat just take you and save your life. You know, I, I don't and then, know. And then, yeah, and also jeopardize your newly established relationship with Mary Jane. Where the fuck? Yeah, we haven't even seen her for issues and issues. There's some bandaged, creepy guy that they're hinting at, and they're not giving us a page worth of that story development every issue. Come on. 
You know, that's that's a whole HU issue unto itself at this point. If you're going to do those, I mean, then why why the rest of this? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, let's uh, Black Widow. So uh, Take the home. Take the speaking home of Black other Widow. children who have been captured by a-holes, this is where that's at. OK, if oh, you want a yeah. real story about a real horrible thing that's happening in our world, because if you can think it, I guarantee some awful person is doing this to somebody. Um, yep. This is where it is. We've talked about this before. The sisters are writing this. Jen and Sylvia, Jen and Sylvia Soska. Soska. Artist is Flavio. I don't know if I still, you know, I'm not looking it up. Flaviano? I don't know if Flavio is a computer algorithm Flaviano. that came from the dark web uh, or what. Uh, <laughs> we got VCs Joe Caramagna because the guy is everywhere. And, the guys uh, everywhere. You know, Good why aren't we, why aren't we, why can't we get those editors? Why is this guy on every book? You know, he's the Wolverine of... Uh, Every, he's working on every book. <laughs> no, that's totally different. <laughs> but so, he's badass, and he's definitely helping a lot of the the stuff. It, obviously, we're doing something right if one person is kicking ass, and the stories the story's going the way we want to, or at least in a way that we would appreciate. Yeah, whether we like it or not. I I'm I'm looking at this issue, and I'm seeing. I'm, you know, I don't know much about Madripoor outside of the little like tastes we get of it all the time. Mm. But the Tiger Tiger character, I don't know if she came from anywhere else. I'm gonna look it up. Wolverine. Uh, okay, yeah. Good. I'm glad you say so. She must. I, where's her book? She's. No, oh, dude. She's, she's one of the random D-listers that show up in Wolverine. The pages of Wolverine. Look, Madripoor and... deserves its own. 12 issue run at this point. And I'm not saying that because, you know, Hey, we're not making a Madripoor movie. We're not doing anything Wolverine ish in Madripoor these days. I don't want to have to go. Well, I don't, I don't mind that. It's part of what I love about comics is like, okay, Hey, I need a random issue of Wolverine now, or I need three of them, or I need some random issue of Hawkeye, you know, to get to Madripoor. But I'd be interested in seeing, I know the black widow. But I don't know anything about this. And this place is the Sin City, the Frank Miller's Sin City of the Marvel Universe. I think it deserves a lot more interesting stuff to be told there. Anyway, Agreed. Uh, Black Widow is captured. Um, she's got a mask on her face. They're going to they're going to no restraints player. Uh, but she breaks out, obviously, because she's the Black Widow. I don't know. They could have done anything there. She puts John Wick to shame in like eight pages. She that... really does. And if that's the story you want to tell, I get it. But I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, okay. She's going to break out. Somebody's going to break her out. This would have been an awesome place for somebody that we would never have expected to come in and save the day. Or I don't know what. And we don't even see how it is that she broke out. She she just broke out Black Widow magic as usual. Yeah, she's getting waterboarded, just waiting waiting for them to to unlock the doors and help her get out. And she's remembering that she's been through worse as she's getting literally waterboarded. And when when she finally gets off her leash and everyone, you know, the shit really goes down and, you know, the uh, the what would they call it? open play or no restraints play? play, no restraints play really is about to happen. She's you want to see it, it reminded me of like that scene in Kick-Ass, like when 
baton is French for bat. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, the show's over, motherfuckers, and that's what happens. But they take it to a next level. She's saving actual children. Like, I love how Tiger Tiger saves the kids, and you hear screaming, and, like, pay no attention to the, the screams. They are no longer a part of your life. And I got to say, I called it just for one second when the, the guy, the hacker guy that's helping him out, when he's, they, they, they ask him something, well, what are you, what are you even doing here? Like, you know, why are you even helping us? And he's like, I'm just helping out. And I'm like, okay, he's the guy. <laughs> he's the guy. Oh, good and, point. <clears throat> yeah. He's the guy. Like, cause uh, one thing that really sucks about being a writer.